Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. On Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, joining me today. I hope your day's been going fantastic. I hope you uh, are enthusiastic about what's on your plate today. I hope you uh, have had time with the Lord. I hope you are having some laughs. I hope you've just felt some joy because there's plenty of bad stuff in the world, plenty of kind of crummy news that would um, create other feelings. So we always have to fight against that. I love Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's a good memory verse. All right. You know, it's Tuesday, so that means the executive editor, Mr. Rob Louie, is going to be joining the program. We'll get all there is to learn from Washington, D.C. in 60 seconds. Be right back. February is a short month, but regardless of the number of days in the month, Faith Radio provides hope and encouragement through gifted preachers who teach God's Word and compelling conversations from our Faith Radio show hosts who help make the connection between faith and life every day. This daily ministry is available because of listeners like you who value the teaching and talk programming and want to see the gospel go out on air and online and on the app. So join with us today by making a gift at MyFaithRadio.com. Connecting Faith to Life is the focus of Faith Radio. If you're new to our ministry, welcome. Through daily Bible teaching and compelling conversations, we want to help you grow in your faith and learn to apply God's Word to everyday life. Faith Radio is part of the Northwestern Media family based in St. Paul, and we'd love to introduce ourselves to you. Get to know us better and request a free welcome packet today at MyFaithRadio.com. In the zone is Mr. Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal, my guest on Tuesday. Rob, welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Oh, where do we begin? Where do we begin? <laughs> well, I mean, we might have <laughs> begin with everything that everybody seems to be talking about, and that's uh, South Carolina yeah. and uh, what's coming up uh, this Saturday. I mean, it's uh, a lot at stake, that's for sure. Yeah, and tonight's debate's going to be nuts, isn't it? Oh, it certainly will be. I mean, last week was uh, was was quite the the roller coaster. Uh, probably the best entertainment on television, frankly. And uh, and I expect there's, there's going to be even more fireworks tonight. There's there's just so much at stake here as uh, as we move in uh, beyond uh, these first three states to uh, to get closer to the big Super Tuesday contest when you know more than a dozen states will be casting casting their ballots in the primary. So yes, uh, there uh, is is precious little time left uh, for these candidates to make an influence and an impact on, uh, on potential voters. Yeah, Rob, last uh, debate, they seemed to um, put a lot of heat on Michael Bloomberg. Was that energy well spent? Uh, you know, in some ways, yes, probably, because uh, with an endless bank account and uh, an already, you know, half a billion dollars uh, invested, uh, this is certainly a, a candidate who uh, feels that, 
So he has the potential to go outside of the normal lane mm-hmm. and run for president. So traditionally, everybody starts in Iowa, then moves to New Hampshire, goes to Nevada, then goes to South Carolina. And of course, Bloomberg has decided that he isn't going to compete in any of those four states, so his name won't even appear on the ballot. And up until this last debate, uh, wasn't even on the stage with the other candidates. So uh, yeah, not necessarily surprising that everybody would uh, concentrate their attention on him. Although you have to wonder if it was maybe a misplaced focus because uh, he's demonstrated up until this point, uh, you know, even though he hasn't been on the ballot, that uh, there's some, actually somebody else who's in the front runner status. And it's usually the front runner who has the big target on his back. And we'll see if that's, uh, that's the case tonight with Bernie Sanders. Yeah, let's talk about the front runner a little bit. I saw him being interviewed by Chris Cuomo, and he was uh, asking uh, Bernie about this program, which it was going to cost like $4 trillion. And he said, you know, respectfully, how do you plan to pay for that? And he said, it'll get done. That was his answer. Thought, yeah, that seems to be the yeah. <laughs> this is not very many uh, specifics when it comes to uh, to outlining this. That was also a charge that came up in the debate last week. I mean, it, it's something that repeatedly has uh, has confounded some of these candidates as they put forward these massive uh, expansions of government uh, programs, whether it's health care, whether it's uh, college, is uh, free college for everybody, forgiving student loan debt. Uh, somebody is ultimately going to have to pay for it. We know that taxpayers are going to get stuck with the bill. And I think it's convenient right now to, you know, uh, not get into the details, because once you start explaining it, you probably start to lose some of the support for it. Mm-hmm. And and Senator Sanders certainly has his own style. I mean, he was just recently um, praising Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. Was that was that a good move? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Bill. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of work on this. I mean, it's, uh, it's an area, you know, that I've, I've spent some time uh, inter- interviewing victims of communism uh, in the past. Uh, and, and my colleague, Fred Lucas, has an excellent story on The Daily Signal today uh, about some people who have traveled uh, from Cuba, escaped uh, the horrendous conditions there in Cuba, and come to the United States in search of uh, freedom and prosperity, and, and have been able to find it, uh, frankly, where they couldn't do so in, in Cuba. So uh, I think that hearing the directly from the people who lived under Fidel Castro uh, shows a stark contrast to what, uh, what Senator Sanders was talking about. Uh, of course, he you know, attempted to clarify that, you know, that, yes, although Castro was an authoritarian leader, you know, he had this literacy program. But I think when you look at uh, a country like that, you have to take the full picture in, into, uh, into uh, view. And, and frankly, Cuba is one of the worst when it comes to economic freedom uh, it, 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 and freedom overall. I mean, it's very rep- a repressive regime, whether it's under the, the Castro uh, government or whether it's uh, under the, the current leader today. And this is true for all communist governments, Bill. This is not unique to Castro. And socialist governments can, you know, largely uh, fall under this category as well. We've seen the horrendous conditions, for instance, in Venezuela and the conflict that's uh, playing out there to this day. Uh, there's a great organization called the Victims of Communism Memorial. In fact, my Heritage Foundation colleague, Lee Edwards, was instrumental in starting it. And 100 million people uh, have been killed over the last 100 years under communist regimes. Uh, it's truly horrific uh, what's going on. And, uh, and, and people, I just don't think, know the facts. I mean, 336 million state-mandated abortions in China. 336 million in wow. China which is a communist regime. Uh, why aren't we having these conversations about the, the horrific conditions uh, that people are living under in these communist countries? Instead, it seems that we embrace these uh, socialist ideas 
And I'm frankly baffled by it, Bill. I think that it's uh, irresponsible of the media not to train more attention on this. And, uh, and, and frankly, I hope that uh, I, I can't, you know, uh, as we move throughout this uh, primary season, maybe the candidacy of Bernie Sanders will allow us to finally expose the truth about Stalin and, and Mao Zedong and some of the other horrific leaders who uh, have perpetrated these crimes against humanity. Yeah, Rob, do you have a sample from Fred Lucas's article about some of the Cuban-Americans and what life was like under uh, Castro? Can you give us just a quick sample? Yeah, well, I mean, the the person that uh, that, that Fred uh, focuses on in, in the in the story is Sebastian Arcos, and he and his family members uh, tried to travel from Cuba to the United States when authorities stopped them. Uh, it turned out to be a sting operation to arrest one of his uncles uh, who had fought Castro in the revolution uh, that goes back to you know the middle of last century. Um, that was in 1981. He was trying to leave the island. He was jailed for a year. For trying to leave. This is how they treat uh, their own people. They, mm. they, they put them in jail. His uncle actually spent seven years in jail. Um, and look, <laughs> it is uh, truly remarkable to, to see uh, some of the, the things that uh, the, the Cuban people have suffered under the Castro regime. Uh, of, of course, he is, uh, is today in the United States, and he said, uh, he told Freddie, quote, surprise when talking heads in the United States will give Fidel Castro the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, and it really is uh, truly remarkable. Now, fortunately, so many of these people uh, have come to uh, Florida or other locations throughout the United States and prospered, uh, started on businesses. Uh, there's a thriving uh, community uh, of, of Cuban uh, exiles who moved to the United States. Um, I work with a couple of colleagues who have, have ties to Cuba. And, uh, and frankly, hearing the stories personally from them, what their families have suffered through, is really heart-wrenching and moving. And so, like I say, Bill, I think it's really important for us at The Daily Signal, for you at Faith Radio, uh, to share some of these stories uh, so that Americans who might not be as familiar with what life is like in Cuba understand uh, the horrendous conditions uh, that, that these people have suffered under. Yeah, so true, Rob. I want to just encourage all my listeners to head to the dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com. You can read uh, Fred Lucas's article on uh, this exact thing that Rob is talking about. I'll take a short break. We'll be right back with more of Rob Louie in just a minute. Rob Louie is my guest. He's a brilliant thinker and a gifted communicator. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Head over to dailysignal.com. So, Rob, the Senate is uh, looking to vote, uh, I think, is this week on two pro-life bills? That's right. Uh, it is uh, a big week in the Senate, and, uh, and I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, you know, there's the two bills, and let's, let's talk about each of them. One is the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, and basically what this would do is protect women and unborn children from late-term abortions. Uh, anything after 20 weeks would be uh, prohibited. Uh, Bill, it's really remarkable to me. We were just talking about, uh, you know, some of these uh, horrific conditions in other countries. Believe it or not, the United States is one of only seven countries in the world that allows abortion past 
20 weeks or five months of pregnancy. Uh, so we're in the same category as China and North Korea in wow. that regard. It, it really strikes me as something that needs to be corrected. Uh, the, the second bill uh, that the Senate will vote on is the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. You might recall this one received a lot of attention over the course of the past year because of comments that Virginia's Governor Ralph Northam uh, made about uh, a, a, a post-birth uh, abortion, uh, which uh, you know, which really is is just murder. Uh, I mean, in in in, in, uh, in in language that you and I would talk about. I mean, because what Northam was talking about is a baby is born. And then the doctor and the mother would decide what to do if it was a botched abortion or, or something in that regard. And it's really uh, horrific to think that this would take place. Uh, there is uh, statistical evidence that babies are born alive following these attempted abortions. Uh, it does happen in the United States. And what this law would do is really strengthen the protections for these infants who are, are left vulnerable and don't necessarily you know, have people uh, who are fighting on their behalf. Uh, in in these abortion clinics. So uh, that's what the Senate is going to do. Uh, it's really important, I think, to um, get senators on the record uh, with these votes. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, with anything in the Senate, you need 60 votes to advance something. So it's uh, unfortunately going to be unlikely uh, to attract uh, those, uh, those votes among Democrats. I believe that uh, last year uh, there were maybe just three Democrats who ended up voting uh, with Republicans on these measures and I expect that that would largely uh, remain the same, so they'd be a few votes short of hitting that magic number of 60 to have them advance. Now, Rob, when you, when you put it this way and say that we are in the same camp as North Korea and China, it's, it's just uh, chilling. It sure is. I mean, and this is why these, these measures should not be controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, uh, throughout, uh, throughout Europe and throughout other countries around the globe, uh, you know, I mean, Bill, you and I, of course, uh, would would believe. Uh, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but that that you know, life begins at conception, and uh, and abortion is horrific. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, we've seen in polling where where some Americans don't make that distinction. They they make a distinction for whatever reason uh, that after the first trimester, maybe you know, abortion uh, should be outlawed. But up until then, they think it's okay. I, I hope we can persuade those Americans. I try to do it all the time um, in, in terms of the work we're doing at Heritage and the Daily Signal. But to think that there are U.S. senators who would vote against a measure that would, uh, would prohibit abortion after 20 weeks is, is just shocking in this day and age. With the technology that we have uh, and, and with the, the people who, uh, who have testified about surviving botched abortions, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, 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 and being here as, as living, breathing spokespeople today um, and living in their own successful lives, uh, I, 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 just, I just find it hard to believe. But this is the situation we find ourselves in, and this is why it's important to cast these votes and have these debates play out in places like the U.S. Senate, because I think it's important for all Americans uh, to, to see, uh, you know, where, where different politicians stand and then be able to make a choice when it comes to, uh, to casting a vote at the ballot box. Yeah, that's such a good point, Rob. I mean, if we said that the U.S. has the same standards for meat inspection as China and North Korea, you'd probably never eat meat again. <laughs> that's true, right. Right. There's very few things I think we want to be compared to North Korea on. And, right. uh, and, and certainly uh, this is one that I think, uh, you know, is shameful. Yeah. Now, we talked about this a while back, and it's surfacing again, so I would like to bring it up again. Um, the the uh, Jesse Smollett case is back on um, in court, and he is still saying innocent. What do you think? 
That's right. So uh, uh, Smollett uh, pleaded not guilty to six counts of disorderly conduct um, earlier this month. And yes, you're correct. He was uh, he was back in court on on Monday yesterday. Uh, You know, this stage is this all goes back to him, uh, the accusations to him staging the attack that, that, you know, he made such a big deal about. And oh, I mean, the the whole way that this case played out has just been <laughs> uh, so hard to follow. But uh, but you know, you remember the state attorney dropped the charges last year, and then there were questions about how she handled the case and everything else that was associated with that. Now Smollett's coming back and saying, "Well, I can't actually be charged again because it's it's double jeopardy, and these charges should be dismissed." And so his lawyers are pursuing that. Uh, but I ultimately think at the end of the day, this case, this case will proceed, and uh, there will be a situation where, um, you know, hopefully uh, it'll be before a jury and they'll get to decide his fate. Uh, I mean, after all, uh, we, have a, we, we believe in the rule of law in this country for a reason, and anybody who tries to, to carry out behavior like this should be held accountable for it. And so uh, my colleague, Cully Stimson, who himself is a lawyer and, uh, and has been a prosecutor, uh, has an excellent analysis on the Daily Signal all about it, if, if your listeners would, would like to go into more detail. But yes, it is confusing to follow, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it for you, Bill. Mm-hmm. Rob, I just had another... Um... Uh, I just had a note come in from a listener named uh, Nathan, and he, and he reminded me, of course, of a, a thing I just want to share with you. And he said, why not protect the baby at any stage? It's murder, and life begins at conception. These 20-week bills still allow for the murder of babies before that. It's time for the pro-life establishment to abolish abortion. And yeah, we're making progress. We're making progress. Look, there are, I mean, I think that it's one of those things where, uh, obviously, that's where you and I stand, and, and your and your listener uh, right. is. Uh, in reality, there are some some Republicans in the U.S. Senate who might not be there. Um, remember this vote. Uh, you have a couple of moderates, like a Susan Collins of Maine and a Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and they're not necessarily always with the rest of the Republican Party. Now, to your point about progress, things have certainly changed. There was a time. When there was uh, even that division between pro-choice, you know, pro-abortion Republicans, uh, and and those who were on the pro-life side, uh, Arlen Specter comes to mind as an as an example of that. Somebody mm-hmm. who actually served in a very prominent role on the Judiciary Committee, who was responsible for setting a lot of this policy. Uh, the the you know pro-abortion Republicans have largely disappeared from Congress, uh, and, and and frankly, uh, you know, I, I think it's become. An important plank in the in the Republican Party platform to defend life, and so we've seen this stark contrast between the political parties. So I think that it's one of those things where Mitch McConnell, as he's deciding what bills to bring up, uh, probably that that political calculation may have something to do with it. Uh, but I also think that it's also about seeing you know where the other side is, and so a Doug Jones of Alabama or a Joe Manchin or a Bob Casey or uh, you know some of these other Democrats who might be on the fence. Uh, on the Democratic Party, uh, you know, it, it gives, you know, it's a test for them. And uh, and that's why it's so interesting, I think, to see how it ultimately plays out and why, if Democrats can't even support a 20-week ban, uh, you know, really, um, you know, it's, it means we have so much work still left to do. Mm-hmm. Rob, the Daily Signal has got so many excellent stories, as always, but uh, this uh, week in particular, there's just so much uh, good things happening Talk a little bit about the, the marriage as the ticket out of poverty. 
That's right. Well, we ran a great uh, commentary from Congressman Ted Budd, uh, who's uh, who's from North Carolina. Uh, it, just an excellent piece. Uh, you know, it really focuses on the success sequence, and I think we've talked about the success sequence in the past. Uh, past, but I mean, it's really about doing a few things in life that can set you on a path to success. Uh, and one of those is obviously marriage. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so important uh, to have. Uh, that support of a spouse, um, particularly if if uh, you and that that other individual are having children, uh, to be in a committed relationship, a married relationship, is that two parent family is going to enjoy much more financial security uh, when it comes to bringing children into the world uh, than a single uh, parent family. And obviously, Bill, you know we we think about and we pray for those people who find themselves in single parent households. And I know that you know so often I hear tremendous stories about how. Uh, you know, a, a mother or a father works so hard and diligently. But but I, the point here is that where you have a choice, it's certainly better to be in a situation, not only for the love of your children, but for the financial security of your own family to remain in that marriage. And so, uh, so graduating from high school, getting a job and staying in that marriage are all keys to the success sequence. And staying out of poverty is so much more likely if you just follow that sequence. So I think it's really important that as we talk to millennials and Gen Z, even if they make these choices later in life, that they still follow that sequence. Mm-hmm. Rob, what's um, what's driving uh, the homelessness crisis? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> homelessness has been in the news quite a bit uh, because President Trump has made a, uh, an issue, particularly with his recent visit to uh, California. And then, of course, uh, Gavin Newsom in his State of the State address, uh, he's the governor of California, talked about how California being one of the richest states in the, in the country, if not the richest state, uh, can have this uh, horrific problem in its cities. And uh, Kate Trinko, my colleague uh, who's from the San Francisco area, did a, a, a great uh, piece exposing the, the terrible conditions and, and actually some of the steps that the faith community in, in San Francisco is taking to try to combat uh, homelessness, realizing that the government doesn't have all the answers. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, there's, there's really, um, you know, a, 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 a bunch of factors that they come into play. But one of the biggest is, you know, it's, it's so expensive to live in these cities like a San Francisco or a Seattle mm-hmm. that, uh, that individuals can't afford uh, stable housing, you know? So uh, what do they do? They, if they, you know, they, they find themselves on the street. Uh, also, there are some other factors. I mean, if you're addicted to drugs or you're suffering from a mental illness, uh, you know, you probably, uh, you know, need help and you're, you're either don't have the financial means to do so, or you don't know where to look for it, which is another reason why families are so important, Bill. I think we've moved away in this, in this country from a situation where families were kind of the first responders to people looking to the government for help. And our president, Kay James, who herself uh, grew up in a, in a welfare situation, talks about you know, how she overcame some of these challenges in her own life. So I know it's possible. And I think that uh, focusing our attention on this, particularly when we have a booming economy like we do, um, it's worth taking the time and attention. Uh, we have a homelessness problem here in Washington, D.C., I mean, that we see as well. And so, uh, so it's up close and personal, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, right down the street from, from where we're located. So mm-hmm. we do what we can, Bill, and yeah. I think that uh, we, we pray for individuals and we support them uh, with donations to food banks or shelters uh, whenever we can. Yeah, Rob, there's so much good content at The Daily Signal, as always. I just want everyone to head over to the Daily Signal, dailysignal.com. Dailysignal.com is the website. Um, I've got other stories I want to talk about next week when we uh, resume. We'll have plenty to talk about. So thanks again for doing the show, Rob, and I'll talk to you in a week. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor, the Daily Signal. 
DailySignal.com. We'll take a short break and be back with Colin Hansen. I just go from one important person to the next. I'm staying in the editorial director position today. Colin Hansen is just that. He is the editorial director at the Gospel Coalition. He's authored many books, The Young Restless Reformed, A Journalist's Journey with the New Calvinists, and A God-Sized Vision, Revival Stories That Stretch and Stir, among other. Colin, welcome back. It's so nice to have you back on the show. I know. You're talking about important people. It makes me wonder who's coming up after me. I don't think I fit that category very well, but I'm always glad to be a guest. Just before you, I had Rob Louie on, who's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. So now I go from... All right. Great publications. Yeah, it is. It it is great. Now I'm at the editorial director. So I'm just kind of on a roll today. I just love having you back on the show. People who love words. People who love words. Yeah. So you got something very cool happening. I think, was it launched tomorrow? Yeah, so today we've got the trailer up for a new podcast called Gospel Bound. We're going to have our first episode next week on March 3rd, and the first uh, guest on that show is going to be Ross Douthat, a conservative columnist Ooh, he's great. for the New York Times. Yeah, He's excellent. He's got a new book out called The Decadent Society, and more or less his take is, why does it seem like the rate of progress sort of stopped technological things like that with 1969 and with the moon landing just like what you know what what changed since then and so he sees us in this sort of cycle of repetition but lacking progress and that leads to a lot of the frustrations that we see but the main focus i've got i think about 16 interviews lined up already and i've recorded a number of them for this new podcast gospel bound and the idea is basically that we're searching together for firm faith in an anxious age, because that's what I see when I'm traveling around the country, talking to church leaders. I, I consistently hear a, a sort of a response of anxiety of feeling like the church is in decline. They seem to be very concerned about what's happening, wonder what's, what, what future generations are going to be like. But I want to introduce people through these interviews to the folks that I'm reading and I'm learning from around the world who see a different story, um, not just historically and biblically and theologically, but they're living out a different narrative now and one that I think fills us with hope. Uh, at least that's what I get. And so it's, a bit, it's fun for me, just kind of like what you get to do. You get to call up some friends and people you want to learn from and, and just sit down and discuss with them about what you've been learning together and uh, most of the folks I'm talking with have been publishing books, mm-hmm. uh, but um, just very eager to see where the Lord leads that uh, leads that podcast. Yeah, Colin, I love this new theme. The main theme is how we're bound to the gospel as we bound forward in hope. That is a fantastic message. Yeah, so as I was thinking about, you know, you're starting a new podcast, so you're trying to think, what's it going to visually look like with your branding? What title? I mean, gosh, we spent months trying to figure out the right title. For this thing, eventually you just got to settle on something. But what I love that our creative team at the Gospel Coalition did is capture, I think, really a lot of what my life and career have been dedicated to, which is this, this simultaneous backward and forward motion, meaning that the resources we have for, for life are those which are in the unchanging Word of God, in the Gospel that was handed down to us 
from Christ himself, from God himself, through the apostles and through his word. So we are bound to that. We are tethered to it. We're tied to it. We cannot and must not depart from it. At the same time, we're moving forward. We're looking, anticipating Jesus's return. We know that we have a glorious, bright future. So we're not merely looking backward, you know, sort of repristinating that history as if everything was perfect in this nostalgic way, because nothing but God's word is, is perfect in all that it teaches. But then also we're, we're not sort of investing all of our hopes in the present that we have to get everything right, but we're looking forward to a future promise that is totally sure. And so I think that combination resonates with a lot of people who feel just sort of like a, a malaise of being caught, like I said, with this anxiety about their circumstances. But I think especially for Christians, we're tempted to think things were just always better in the olden mm -hmm. days. And if we could just get back to those olden days, things would be fine. But I think it makes us sometimes lose sight of the amazing things that God is doing right now. And that's what I see in so many of these folks. I don't see a church that's in retreat or a church that's suffering defeat. I see these people who are, I mean, we're bound for glory. I mean, what an incredible promise. And that hope fills us with the endurance to be able to go from day to day, no matter what life in this world throw at us. Wait, Colin, I feel like you're just the ultimate coach in the locker room at halftime. This is quite the pep talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go know, take on the world. Football, football coach. It's a, it's a different life. That's uh, maybe in a different, uh, you know, opportunity I would have headed down in that direction. But no, I mean, sometimes you got to fire yourself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, I'm prone to discouragement. I'm prone to pessimism. I love history. I mean, I I'm prone to thinking, boy, wouldn't it have been cool to live during that time. And and I'm just prone to, to missing and taking for granted the incredible blessings of today. And it's, and I would just hate to get to the end of my life and think I was living through amazing times, but I kept longing for other times. I mean, what good does that do us? We have to live in this moment. This is what God has for us. This today is the day that he's made and we rejoice and we be glad in it. And so that's what I want to do is just help equip people to live faithfully in this day and not be so worried. I mean, that's one of the key things that Jesus teaches us is to not be anxious about anything, but to trust him because he cares for us and his word, it stands forever. So we don't have to worry about that. It almost makes me want to encourage my listeners to listen to your new podcast, but only, but <laughs> well, only. after they've listened to yours. Thank you. they've listened to Thank yours. Thank you. Let's be crystal clear on that. All right, Colin, let's talk about the, the post-Christian world that we live in, and I would love to get your definition of post-Christian. What does it sound like to you? So that is a contested term, and I talked with one of my guests here who's an expert who, he kind of pushed back on me a little bit. His name's Gerald Sitzer. He's, at a, he's a professor out in Spokane, Washington, and he said, we really live in a post-Christendom world. Now, basically, I think we mean the same thing. Here's what we mean. We do not live at a time when the key institutions that shape our culture, we're talking the courts, we're talking the government, we're talking entertainment, we're talking universities, the sort of mainstream of mm -hmm. our Western culture across 
Western Europe, across the United States, North America, Canada. Um, it, do, it does not sort of operate under even any kind of pretension toward Christian orientation. So if you were to ask people, certainly a couple generations ago, uh, or even more than that, probably in many cases, at least a couple centuries ago, perhaps, there would have been a, a, an assumption of a common sort of Christian perspective on things. Now, that doesn't mean everybody was Christian. Right. It just means that there would have been, if you were going to try to, you know, solve a dispute, you would have appealed to that kind of authority. Mm-hmm. And that would have told you things like what marriage should look like, or should tell you how God has created us male and female. What we've seen now is that we don't really share those assumptions any longer. Those are not the governing assumptions. There's not that kind of appeal that you can make collectively um, to that standard outside of ourselves. But I think it's important to talk about post-Christian because it differentiates us from the church's situation in the early church that we read about in the book of Acts in those first few centuries. That was largely a pre-Christian environment. It's one reason why we can't just go back. We can't just go back and say, well, this is exactly how they did things I mean, the biblically, yes, I mean, we can do that. But we can't just say, well, the early church did this, so we just need to get back to that. It wasn't the same dynamic. Here's the way I would put it especially clearly. I would say we live at a time when people think they know what Christianity is, and they hate it. Mm. That's what makes it a post-Christian environment. Now, here's the problem. They think they know what Christianity is. But often that's not even remotely close to what the Bible would teach. And sometimes when they say they hate it, we might look at them and say, well, I would hate that kind of Christianity as well. I don't worship that kind of God either, because that's not the God revealed in the Bible. But that's like, we don't have a home field advantage anymore. One of the guests I talked to on Gospel Bound um, put it this way. Like, again, we, we don't have, people think that they are actually morally superior to Christians, that to be Christian is to be morally inferior to others because we're supposed, you know, we're seen as being bigots and intolerant and things like that. That's what it means to be in a post-Christian era where the Christians are not sort of a holier than thou moral superiors that everybody sort of, you know, looks at as being self-righteous and a little bit unattainable. They look at us and they have pity or even anger and think, no, 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 you are the problem with this world. That's a transition. That's a change. And then you can understand why people would see, feel so anxious in that environment, because it's such a substantial shift from where we've been. But again, some of the best and brightest and most godly people I know are right there on the front lines, and they're showing us how we can do this well, and more importantly, how we can do this faithfully to the glory of God. You know, Colin, it seems like we get very reductionistic. And if we hear one thing, we instantly ascribe all kinds of things to that person. And we don't create margin and space for people like we used to. And I think we write each other off very quickly. And I think as Christians, we got to be so careful. We got to hear people's story. We got to find out uh, what part of the gospel they don't understand or they they find offensive or and help them get through those obstacles. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, uh, giving an example of this, our the Gospel Coalition, our director, international directors in the Dominican Republic, a good friend of mine, he sent me a text earlier this morning and said, hey, I'm 
I'm thinking and praying for my American brothers and sisters today. He was looking at some new videos talking about new, um, I don't know if they were proposed or pending updates to the iPad about how it's going to be swiped. And somebody responds on Twitter and says, hey, what do you think about this? Then somebody immediately responds and says, I hate everything you stand for because you shared something from Ben Shapiro, the the conservative commentator. Then the person responds and says, yeah, but you support Bernie Sanders. Therefore, you're a socialist and nobody should listen to anything you say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're like, wait a minute. We were talking about an iPad update here. Like, how did we get to that point? I mean, I'm not a particularly young man at this point, but I feel like it wasn't that long ago where the people that I grew up with in South Dakota, even my own family members, that I didn't immediately think of them as kind of political totems. Or I didn't immediately think, well, such and such is is this political party or this ideology, therefore I should trust everything they say or I should not trust anything they say. They they were three-dimensional people. You know, I knew them as members of a community. And I wonder if that's something of what we've lost, especially in the context of social media, that we've begun to identify people as these kind of avatars who are just stand-ins for a certain kind of agenda that we either support or that we oppose. But they're not these three-dimensional people who live next door who you can visit or invite over for coffee or tea or something like that. You can get to know them as real human beings with real problems. And that really, as human beings made in the image of God, we share so much more fundamentally um, than we disagree on in terms of our of many of our hopes for our children and hopes for this world. And, and yes, of course, as Christians, we have some fundamentally different views and a fundamentally different source of hope. And yet there's a shared humanity, I think, that trumps so much of the ideology that we focus on. So I completely agree. I would, I would love if an effect of this gospel-bound podcast would be that people don't merely listen to it while they're running or walking or doing dishes or something like that, um, and then just sort of walk away from it, but that it encourages them to take those tangible, practical steps, to be able to get to know their neighbors and to love their neighbors, because I think that kind of witness is going to be what makes a difference in this post-Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Colin Hansen is my guest. He's the editorial director of the Gospel Coalition. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, lots more with Colin. Welcome back to the show. Colin Hansen is my guest. Colin, during the break, I was thinking, this is really some, this is some smart thinking you're doing. You should start a podcast, and if you do, you should pay me 10% for it being my idea. I'll pay you 10% of the nothing I get paid on top of my regular salary. <laughs> all right, all right, sounds fair. <laughs> sounds fair. But I know you're, you, you're wanting to bound forward in hope, and I love that. So what's going to give us hope in what seems like kind of a dark time for us? Yeah, so the only thing that truly gives us hope is knowing how the story ends. Um, you can endure anything. You're, what, you're watching a movie, you're reading a book. I mean, there's a certain measure of suspense that's in there. But generally speaking, you know 
that it's going to end on a positive note. And I think in our culture, there's a resonance with those happy endings, with the sort of story that God has imprinted on our consciences, even of people who do not yet believe. And there's a sense that things in the end are going to turn out okay. And in Christ, and I should say also only in Christ, do they turn out well in the end? And I think sometimes, I, I don't think I can say too much of this, but I almost, I almost wonder if people just have too much hope in this world. I wonder if they expect too much of this world. We, we live at a time when there have been such amazing medical advances. There have been so many amazing changes to protect us from all kinds of different harm in this world. And we still see bad things happen, of course, but so much has really changed for the better um, even in our lifetimes. And that's something that we rejoice in. But I wonder if it makes us expect that things in this world are going to turn out well for us. Mm -hmm. But we know at some level that they can't. Because we know that the story in our fallen selves, in this fallen world, that the story is death. And that's common for the, the ending is there for death for everybody. But for Christians... That is not that is certainly not the end of the story for us. We have hope now because we know that after death comes life and a life that's far better and more expansive and more beautiful than anything we've ever known in this world. And that's got to be able to give us. I got to give us hope. I think if you look back on any of the great saints of of church history, those people whose faith inspires us today. You will see, just as C.S. Lewis talked about in his Mere Christianity, that those people who did the most good in this world were precisely those people who did the who looked forward most to the next mm -hmm. world. And that's, I hope, the message that comes through Gospel Bound, because it's definitely not going to be deliverance through any kind of political or social agenda or even sort of any kind of church program mm -hmm. here. It's only going to be through Jesus. Outstanding. So I think the Gospel Coalition is trying to get this new campaign going. I think it's called Hope for the Searching. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, so we've got a couple things going on there. We have, um, well, I'll, I'll ask you a question. Okay, so what do you think, according to Amazon, is the number one largest Christian website in the world? The largest Christian website. According to Amazon. According yeah. to Amazon. Um, let's see. Faith Radio's Afternoons with Bill Arnold? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, it's just a long shot. Okay, good. What's number I two? Mean, you know, you might, think, <laughs> you might think of something like Bible Gateway, okay? I mean, you just, you're, gonna, you're looking for a Bible verse, you punch yeah. it into Google, and it's going to take you to BibleGateway.com. Uh, okay. okay, that's definitely one of the largest I, ones. I think you're going to shock so, me, aren't you? JW.org. Do you know who runs JW.org? No. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh. It's not even a Christian website. Wow. That's according to Amazon. The largest Christian website in the world is not a Christian website, but a cult website that is advertised on just about any sort of city street corner that you could come across around, around the world, that JW.org sign that's always in front of the Jehovah's Witnesses evangelists there. That's why we think at the Gospel Coalition, at a time when 
literally billions of people are searching online for their answers to spiritual questions that we want them to find biblical orthodox answers to those questions but it's difficult if the number one website according to according to amazon which also has a lot to do with google searching is going to be the jehovah's witnesses and another one of the largest one largest is going to be run by another cult organization the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints that's another one of the largest ones out there so we think of all these people who are typing in questions like who is jesus what is the bible who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Trinity? That they're getting answers that are not the Orthodox Church answers that have been held for 2,000 years in church history. They're actually going back to groups that originated sometimes just in the 1800s, and precisely because they broke away from other Christian, they broke away from Christian churches. And so what we'd love to do is to be able to help to grow as the Gospel Coalition, but also to network with all kinds of different like-minded uh, Orthodox Christian organizations to be able to strategize to make our answers collectively the number one that people find when they're searching out there. So that's the hope for the searching. And it's things are always changing. The Internet, I almost feel like sometimes we've barely begun to tap into the revolutionary effects of the internet. And we know a lot of the downsides mm -hmm. of it. And one of the downsides is that there's no vetting for these kinds of answers and these kinds of questions. Um, but one of the benefits is through some, you know, through funding that we can deploy in strategic ways to be able to work according to, um, you know, these kind of best practices for search engines and things like that that we can work together as Christians to be able to accomplish this goal. And so that's what we're working on now. We're looking to, you know, we're looking for partners and supporters to help us to do that. And we're also launching a number of different projects to already show some of the effects. So we're doing more and more podcasts because that's how, I mean, people are, because of the smartphone, people are consuming so much more Christian media than they used to, which is great. So we're looking for, you know, getting the best kind of podcasts to go into, the, you know, to get there. So Gospel Bound is part of this Hope for the Searching campaign. This whole year, we've been running a Read the Bible campaign. Boy, that's some truth in advertising. What's that all about? Just read the Bible. That's all it is. Four chapters a day. You'll get the New Testament twice in a year. You'll get the Old Testament once, and you'll get the Psalms twice as well. And we just think with all of the different messages that people are hearing, especially in an election year, and, you know, people, I don't know if people know about this, but a lot of things on, on cable TV and book publishing almost shut down because people know that the only thing people are really paying attention to is the election in an election year. But we want people, above all, to be reading their Bible. Um, that's, again, the only words that have eternal life in the Bible. And so we want people to be, be trusting in those. And so the Read the Bible campaign is a part of that. People can, they can subscribe to the newsletter to give them those readings on a daily basis at thegospelcoalition.org. They can download a, a devotional commentary uh, from D.A. Carson, a leading New Testament scholar who walks us through the passages that we're reading. And, and we're also going out there and just finding answers to, I mean, we had, we're going through Exodus right now, and we come across 
one of the absolute strangest stories in the Bible. Um, and it's not quite completely safe for radio. So I'll just say that it refers to a strange kind of circumcision with Moses. Okay. But we're like, what is happening here? Well, we turn to a scholar to ask to help us to give that. So for anybody out there who's just they're diligent to read their Bible and especially in the Old Testament, they're just scratching their heads. What is happening here? We want them to be able to punch those questions into Google and to come to our site and find good answers to those. But also we want to set them up so that when they're reading those passages in the day that they can click on an article and they can be taken right there and they can get some commentary on it. Yeah, it's pretty shocking that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are number one. I know that there's some a lot of money involved in that because that's how you get to the top of the heap. But it's important that there's good, solid biblical doctrine when people ask, what is salvation? Who is Jesus? that they can get good, solid biblical answers. Yeah, so that that's kind of the dirty secret of these uh, rankings is that there are ways to game the system. And the more money you have, the more effectively you can game that system. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, that's I mean, but if, if, if people who don't believe in Christ are able to do those kinds of things because they believe so much in their cause, I think maybe the church can do that as well and do it even better and do it with integrity to be able to help build up the church. Yeah. Colin, thanks so much for doing the show. I'll be praying for you and your Gospel Bound podcast uh, airing uh, officially March 3rd. Thanks for doing. Uh, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me as always. All right. Again, Colin Hansen has been my guest, and he is the executive director for the Gospel Coalition. We'll take a little break, and then hour two is just ahead. A full hour with uh, Jeff Verdorn. We're going to talk about Romans chapter 7. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.